Say It Loud Network and Mino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, my name is Sonia Aline, and welcome to our podcast where we help businesses become better, bigger, and bolder in terms of how they bring products to market, how they grow their customer base, and of course, how they increase their revenue. Today, we're going to talk about branding. Um, and I know that there's been a lot discussed uh, in general about branding, but today we want to unpack what people need to understand to enhance their brand and to strengthen it, particularly in today's pandemic. And we have the perfect guest to do that. Um, Nadine Thompson is a great friend, um, but one of the smartest businesswomen I know. Um, she considers herself a social entrepreneur, and I'm going to ask her to talk a little bit about that as well. But just to give you a little bit of, of Nadine's background, she's a business leader and social entrepreneur with over 30 years experience in the wellness and self-care business. She's also a licensed clinical social worker. She's the founder of Warm Spirit, a bath and body wellness brand that grew to over $40 million in sales, and she managed over 30,000 women in the direct sales market, which is another great accomplishment of hers. Um, she established Soul Purpose, um, which was kind of like a rebranding and a relaunching of what she did with One Spirit. And even with Soul Purpose, she has launched Soul Purpose 2.0, which is a cannabis extension to her brand. Um, Nadine was also the president of Bedroom Candy, uh, which is Candy Burris's um, line of bedroom toys and products. And, um, and she's the author of Value Cell, Transforming Purpose into Profit through Creative Sales and Distribution Strategies. I mean, Nadine has been the, the recipient of numerous awards and honors. Uh, she's also a graduate and scholar of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. Um, she's an amazing wife, mother, and friend. And uh, welcome, Nadine. I, I'm excited to have you on the show. I am glad to be here. It's a little embarrassing when I hear the 30 years experience. I remember when I lived <laughs> for that, and now I think, oh, my God, that make me, makes me sound so old. <laughs> no, because you were a child prodigy. You started at 10. So that's, that's, you started at 10, 30 years. You're still a very young woman with a lot more to, to showcase and to, to help us with. And, um, and that's why I'm excited to have you here because I've learned so much um, from you just being your friend. Um, we met professionally and it's grown into a friendship, but um, not but. And I'm excited that you're here to be able to share some of your experience with our audience. And so these are a lot of the conversations that we've had off camera. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for this because it's going to help a lot of people in this hour. And so the first thing I'd like you to talk about is, you know, you're really passionate about being a social entrepreneur. And 15 years ago when you wrote the book and we were just starting to understand what social entrepreneurship was, um, today you feel that it's more important than ever. And so explain to the audience why you feel that way. Well, thank you, Sonia. It's great to be here. Let me start by saying that uh, social entrepreneurship means a lot to me because it's about, I always say it's business 360. You're thinking about where you're sourcing your products from to who you're selling your products to and making sure that you have a positive impact on both your customers, but also your suppliers. For me, when I was doing Warm Spirit and now it's Soul Purpose, um, you know, I took a lot of care thinking about who would make the products I developed. So, for example, 
on a trip to Ghana, we met great women in Northwest Ghana who were making shea butter. And they were using um, the proceeds from the sales, the shea butter they were selling to pay for medical, itinerant medical care. So they had doctors and nurses who drove into their villages once a week and they had to pay for that visit. They used it for education um, and it was mostly women, a women's run industry. And so these women were selling the shea butter and I thought, what a wonderful opportunity. I'm trying to empower women in the United States by doing this direct sales model where they can sell products and make some money for themselves. And if we uh, buy the shea butter from these women, it can help them and their children and their villages. So that was important to me. When we sourced our silk journals and um, organza bags that we use, we went to a partnership in India and sourced products from there. So again, I was able to say to our customers and to our consultants, when you sell one of our beautiful handcrafted journals, not only are you supporting an entrepreneur in New Jersey, you're also supporting a female entrepreneur in India who's handmaking these, these items. So it's really thinking about all the levels of your supply chain and your customers and making sure that everyone benefits in this venture, whatever it is we're doing. So that's, you know, a lot you know, of people think about that in terms of like major corporations. So major corporations talk about social entrepreneurship all the time. But how is it, and, and particularly for smaller businesses that may not be able to afford a trip to Ghana or may not afford a trip to India, how can they think about it, even within their communities, what social entrepreneurship looks like for them? Well, for me here, I mean, in the United States, you can look at who's printing your product. Are you looking at women-owned businesses? Are you looking at minority-owned businesses? So are you looking at the businesses in your own community? So it may not be just based on race. So for example, when I was working with Bedroom Candy, I met a small printing company. It was owned by a white guy in northern New Hampshire, and he was looking to expand his business. And I said, rather than give it to one of those huge printers or one of the overseas companies, let's source it out to a local printer. So again, we're funneling money right back into the community where we're living. So it doesn't have to be all the way in Ghana. It could be looking at your community and seeing how you can support farmers, printers, graphic designers, you know, all of the places that you source products from. I just don't take the first one that comes along or necessarily the cheapest one. It may be the one that's in my community that I can support, a woman's own business. Um, um, you know, I remember with Hot Lips Pizza, who I spoke about for my book, they talked about only using local farmers for everything from the cheese to the tomatoes for the sauce to the, the meats for their pizza. They only used local farmers to source everything they were doing. So when Hot Lips Pizza succeeded, so did their local farmers. And so that made, you know, that was a, made a huge impact on me just thinking about those little decisions that we make. Okay. And so how do those decisions impact someone's brand. And, and maybe before we even answer that, 
maybe we should talk a little bit about, you know, there are a lot of, you know, there are books that have been written on, written on branding and, and whole podcasts um, mm-hmm. that are focused on branding. I know for me, in its simplest form, brand means your promise, like what you are promising to the community that you're going to serve or the customers that you're going to serve. What is the brand? And then how can we use all of what you just explained for people to strengthen where they are currently? Well, I think one of the kind of natural things is that with Hot Lips Pizza, for example, when they sourced all of their natural ingredients for their pizza and their subs that they were selling, the whole community rallied behind them. So it automatically increased their customer base. So people knew that if they ordered from Hot Lips, and I'm just going to use Domino's as I'm not knocking them, but use Domino's as an example. If you ordered from Hot Lips, you were getting, you were supporting your friends in the community. So people tended to shop there because they knew that Hot Lips was very community-based. So it makes a difference because it expands your community base. And it's not just you promoting what you're selling. It's all of the people that you're working with. So the, the cheese maker may say, listen, go to Hot Lips. They use our cheese. You know, the bread maker may say they use our dough and it's really good, gluten free, da da da, but they use our dough. So order from Hot Lips if you want, you know, good quality stuff. So really you've got the community and then your brand becomes enriched because people see it as part of the community and that you're not just, they're not just supporting your business, but they're getting to support a lot of businesses across the spectrum. And I think people like that. It's about feeling good. It's about, um, communicating a value about community-based business. And I think people feel really good about it because if they're going to order your pizza slides as opposed to somebody else's, what would be the reason other than that it tastes better? You know, right. are you supporting other people as well? What would you suggest if we, and, and that does feel good, like even as you're explaining it, it feels like something that if, if I were part of the community, yes, I would want to be able to support that. This year, uh, you know, we don't have to explain or talk about how tough this year has been. Um, there, there have been a lot of businesses who have lost ground, who have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. What would your advice around the importance of social entrepreneurship? Why is that so much more important in this climate today? I think it's I think it's really important because right now so many small businesses are going out of business. So many large companies are going out of business and people are looking for ways to support each other. Like I was just in Toronto visiting my mom and there was a really great campaign in Toronto where they were asking people to at least order out one night a week. And they were showcasing different small businesses that were still in businesses and still restaurants, still in business, but struggling and asking people to go out and support these restaurants at this time. So I think one, a lot of businesses are really struggling, but people want to know that if they're going to support this business, there's a reason to support them other than just they sell, you know, great shoes or they make nice clothes. It might be that you're supporting local seamstresses or suppliers in your community. So you're not just helping that one business, but you're helping a lot of businesses by supporting this particular one. So I think people want a reason to support, a reason to order out on Wednesday night. The proceeds, I know Crocs did a wonderful promotion at the beginning of the pandemic where healthcare workers were getting a free pair of Crocs 
that they can use in the hospitals. Um, I know Tide was doing this thing where if you um, were a healthcare worker, you could drive up and drop off all your laundry and they were doing their, your, their laundry with Tide so that they wouldn't have to take infected clothes home. So there was Tide with this great message. We're going to support frontline workers. We're going to wash their clothes and we're going to do it for free and we're going to support them. And then in turn, you think, okay, if I'm going to choose between Tide and another soap brand, I'm going to support Tide because they're really doing a lot for the community. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's sort of how I think about it, about more of a community involvement so that your dollar is going further as far as who you support. So if I'm a struggling business and I am trying to figure out what my value is Mm -hmm. um, to be able to um, show up differently in the marketplace, like how do I even begin to do that? Like how do I begin to determine if I were selling shoes or if I was selling pizza or anything else Mm -hmm. like today, if I'm trying to create more value, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about that I could even ask myself so that I can start to recreate my brand or strengthen the brand that I have? Okay, so I'll give you a great example. On Monday night, I went out to dinner with my husband for our 30th wedding anniversary. <laughs> it was at 30 again. Congratulations. Yes, the magic number. Yes. yes. The owner of the restaurant was a very, um, a very established, very successful restaurant in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And they're struggling. And he talked about the fact that he's still open. But what they've been doing is him and his staff have been volunteering one night a week at a food pantry. And they're not only they've rented out these big kitchens that have now closed down in New Hampshire because the restaurants aren't using them and they're cooking meals for the homeless. And so you have one of the most prestigious five-star restaurants in Portsmouth and their chef one night a week is turning out these incredible meals, you know, for the homeless. And so he's getting press coverage. Um, he's getting to give back and people feel good about going and eating at his restaurant because of the great work that he's doing in the community. And so when I talk to entrepreneurs, I say, start by thinking about what your story is. So if it's a restaurant, what's your story? Why are you in business? Who did you want to help by doing this business? And I think people have to sort of step back and do the storytelling part that you often talk about telling your story. What's your story? Why did you get into business? What, you know, um, motivated you to do this business? And oftentimes, I think nine out of 10 entrepreneurs always have, well, I wanted to help this community or I wanted to help these people or I wanted to show people how great Caribbean food was, you know. And so if it's a Caribbean restaurant, let's say, can you give back in the Caribbean community where there may be homeless people or people in need at this time so that the community that you want it to serve in the first place, you're able to serve them in a grander way. Can you give back? And then that becomes a part of your story. Not only do you serve great oxtails, but you're also doing it on a Wednesday night for the homeless in Brooklyn. And people now say, wow, this restaurant's really showing up for us. And I think that becomes a part of the story. And that's what the news, that's what they're eating up. That's what's on social media. That's what people are are talking about. So I think it's about beginning to tell your story and then figuring out who did you want to serve and then how can you serve them in different ways? I'm glad you you brought up the the whole piece about going back 
and discovering and remembering what your story is. Because yeah. I think for a lot of, so big businesses do this really well, but for small businesses, I think it's the story and the passion behind the story that drive us to start our yes. business. Yes. But then once we get into business, right, once we've got to worry about, you know, who we're paying and, and, and catching up with bills and inventory and all those things, a lot of times we forget yes, why, my point. why yeah. we start. Yeah. yeah. And so how can we kind of, you know, we know that small businesses have, have, you know, different struggles and a lot of it is, is tied to revenue, but you know, how, how is it that we can stay connected to our story to make sure that we are in line with what we started? And not to say that you, you can't ever change. Cause I, and I'd like you to talk about that too, because I think you could start off saying, this is what I want to do and recognize that the environment is it's changed. And so now we have to, the, the, the word that everybody's using right now is pivot, like figuring right. out how to pivot. But it's, you know, what would you suggest for people to maintain uh, their their story so that it is consistent through even, even in crisis that they can still have this um, desire or they can still have a story that resonates with, with people? I think most business stories are often captivating and interesting. You know, why does somebody want to start a restaurant? Is it their love for food? Is it their love for a specific cuisine? Is it their love of service? What is it that you're passionate about and what is it that you love doing? And I think if you take the time after listening to this podcast and even ask yourself that question, what is it that I'm passionate about? Why, you know, why am I doing this? I think then that begins to fuel everything else. Like, uh, let me just break it down to Instagram. You know, if you're going to be putting out Instagram posts, what's the message you're putting out there? Is it that your restaurant is cool or is it that you're now beginning to serve meals on a Wednesday night to the homeless or that you're doing you're volunteering at a kitchen. So those things become really important in your messaging, whether it's social media or a press release or whatever it is you're doing. I think you have to go back to the story and have that story guide you in what posts you're putting up. So often, you know, my graphic designer will say, what is it you want to communicate this week about what you're doing? And I have to really kind of think about it. It's not just about you know, I've got this great CBD soap, but why is it great and who's it helping? You know, and I think people are much more interested in those stories. You asked about pivoting, and I think people often pivot. For example, when I started, I started off thinking, I want to help women who are on welfare, thinking about them being able to do a, a direct sales business and make extra money. Halfway through, I realized that that was not my audience. My audience were women who looked like me, who were as educated as I was, but who were tired of working in corporate America and had their master's or their bachelor's degrees and didn't want to deal with the glass ceilings anymore, didn't want to deal with racism at work anymore or sexism at work anymore and wanted to be in business for themselves. So I quickly, ha I, not quickly, it took a couple years for me to kind of pivot and say, that's not my market. My market are women who are like me, who want to be in business for themselves. So I had to begin to change my entire messaging um, about who I was serving. It was no longer that group, though we had a few women, but the women who were most successful at Soul Purpose and Warm Spirit were MBAs who knew how to market products. 
but who were tired of the glass ceiling and tired of the limitations in corporate America. And they were saying, gosh, I could earn you know, $70,000 a year in my corporate job, or I could earn $130,000 a year doing warm spirit and really kind of working really hard at that business and, and doing what I know I need to do to sell well. So I had to pivot and begin to talk to women about wellness and self-care and about self-determination and about creating, you know, their own um, ideas about how much money they wanted to earn and, um, being able to make that happen. So I really had to begin to change how I saw business myself. Well, you bring up an excellent point because um, being a strong brand is more than just saying, this is who I am. It's also listening yes. to hear what the market needs and how it needs to be served. Yes. And so can, can, you, can you talk a little bit more about that in, in terms of the importance of really being connected to the audience or being connected to who you want to, or, you know, you know, I think a lot of times when you, when we create businesses, we think we know, right. Yes. What, yes. That, and that's what you were saying. You think, you know what yes. the market wants. Um, but what are, if you, if you could offer some other lessons around the importance of listening and really paying attention so that you are really serving the market the way they really need to be served. Right. Often when I talk to entrepreneurs, other entrepreneurs, and they're starting a business, I say, write a business plan. Not so much that long business plan that's scary. You know, when people say write a business plan, they go, oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to do this? Can I hire somebody to do it for me? But write it even in bullet form. You know, who are you going to serve? Why are you serving them? What do you intend to do? Get a, a journal or a three ring notebook at the dollar store and just write down what your business is going to look like, what you envision it to be, you know, all of the great stuff that you want for your business. A year into it, see how much, go back and read that and say, am I really serving that group? You know, did I really paint the walls this color? Am I really getting my financing from here? I mean, you go back and you look and you notice, gosh, I really thought I was going to be serving a walk-in crowd at my restaurant. But now I find that people are really just wanting to make reservations and come in at lunch. I've become a lunchtime hotspot. So I need to change my menu. I need to change my messaging. I need to change, you know, my pricing on my items because I'm now serving a lunchtime group as opposed to an evening dinner place or vice versa. So it's about looking at where you started and then asking yourself the, the honest questions of, you know, Am I serving who I thought I was going to serve? And do I need to adjust my business plan now? Because my business has not turned out to be what I thought. It may be better than I thought it was going to be, but it's different than what I thought it was going to be. Because your customers begin to define. People will come in and say, um, again, I'm using restaurants. Maybe I'm hungry right now, but, <laughs> but, you know, people may come in and say, gosh, you know, do you have any vegan things on the menu? Do you do gluten free? Um, and you might find a new, you know, the millennials are coming in. So you've really got to change how you're doing business. And to your point about talking about it or listening, you've got to listen to what your customers are asking you for. So I get a lot of emails every day about, product. And there was a lot of questions in the Black community about CBD and cannabis and the fact that so many white folks were getting um, 
the licenses to sell cannabis and black people were shut out of the industry. So many white companies were and white people were benefiting from CBD, but it wasn't available in our stores. It wasn't available to us. They weren't opening CBD stores in the black community. So I said, gosh, maybe I can create a line of CBD products that my women can bring to their communities so they don't need a CBD store in their community. They can now be the purveyor of these products in their communities, no matter where their communities were. And I had to do that, but it came with changing my business plan, create the products, learning about licensing, testing, certification. And then I was up till till 10 o'clock last night teaching the consultants about CBD. How does it work? How do you sell it? What can you say legally? What can't you say about the products? So I have to shift. It's no more about, you know, how to use a brown sugar scrub. It's now about how do we sell CBD in our communities? So I have to shift. I had to learn and then I had to transfer that learning to my consultants who are selling selling the product. So every year, you know, my I have to shift a little bit and adapt to whatever the market is telling me they want. And then they give me feedback about what their customers are wanting as well. And I have to decide, you know, do I want to make that product? Is there going to be something, is it going to be marketable or is it just a few people saying, I'd like to have what they saw at the body shop? So I've got to make those decisions all the time. And so, you know, what's important there too is like, you don't really need a crisis to be able to re-examine your business and to shift and to pivot. You should be doing it consistently. Huh. That's exactly right. Consistently. And I say to people, you know, they need a coach. I mean, not everybody's going to have access to someone like yourself. Um, they might through coaching opportunities, but really to find a coach or a peer a in the business. Yeah. Or a mentor yeah. um, who you can say, let's talk this through. Where did I start? Where are we now? What are my customers telling me? And what do I need to change in order to be successful in this market? You know, a lot of restaurants have now had to change to take up, you know, and so they have to perfect that. A lot of small businesses just have to change. My brother owns a bookstore. He's now got to take all his orders online and set up a cute table where people can have touchless pickup. You know, so everybody has to think about how is the world changing and how do we keep up? Are you offering touch-free pickup for your customers? You may get a few more customers because you're willing to change the way you're doing the business. So he's still going to the bookstore. He's still open. And if people want books, they call and they say what they want. They pay over the phone and he's able to put the books in the bag on the table and they're able to pick it up and leave. You know, he's got to change the way he's doing business. So the, so there are two things that I, I want for you to talk about, too, is um, it really is pushing you to be more creative. Right? Absolutely. And yeah. so at a time when people are struggling to, to figure out um, and, and are kind of consumed by bad news and, yeah. and fear and all of these things, how do you make time to get into a creative space because um, entre- entrepreneurs need that to be able to be able to kind of step away and think and rethink their business. If you have recommendations or the things that work for you, because I know that your personal schedule can be consumed, your wife, your mom, your grandmother, yeah. you run these businesses that are expanding. You do a lot of other still clinical social work. Yeah. Um, what would you advise for someone who can be, um, you know, kind of consumed by the the noise, the the fear, 
the um, all of the stuff that's going on, but still have to figure out how to, to, to be creative in their in their business yeah. life. For me, I work at home now, like most people do. I work at a desk um, all day. Um, what I do is I sometimes step away from my desk and I go in the living room where it's quiet and I'm by myself. And I just scroll on the internet. I look, um, you know, at some of my favorite online magazines to get inspiration. I read interesting articles and I just try to get that time away where I'm just really, I just scroll through stuff. I look at fashion magazines. I look at the Forbes stuff. I look at the New York Times. I look at, you know, in style and I see what people are wearing, what colors are out. And I just take an hour or two and just scroll. And then my mind starts to, you know, kind of wander. And I think about the creative stuff. Um, if I don't, I'm stuck at my desk picking up calls all the time. And there's no time for creativity. So I don't make a big deal out of it. I just kind of shift. It's not about journaling. I don't, you know, do all that fancy stuff. I just go sit and I scroll through the internet. I look at what's going on. I take the opportunity to read my Essence magazine, you know, my town and country that comes in or Vogue. And I flip through pages and I read interesting articles about what other women entrepreneurs are doing around the world. I just look at stuff and I get create, you know, I get these these ideas come to mind for me. That's what I do. And I read what's going on. You know, like Forbes just brought out this morning the top 50 women in business, and they're doing their top 50 over 50. And on MSNBC this morning, they talked about how many of the top women who made the 100 list are over 50 and about the wisdom that happens over 50. And I really want to go back and listen to the whole piece, listen to that podcast, because I'll get inspiration there, listening to those women who are making a difference over 50. What, what kinds of things are they doing? And I get inspiration from that, what other women are doing, what's going on globally. You know, it's not even so much a race thing. It's, you know, they might be white women or European women or African women or Indian women, but it's just getting that inspiration. Um, so I'm really excited to see what's going on on the Forbes list that came out this morning and reading the, the articles on what it means to be a woman in business over 50. And what they're saying is that they find those women are primarily very successful because they're comfortable with who they are. They're allowing themselves to be more creative. And most of all, they have wisdom and work experience right. that the younger ones don't have. And so they're doing very well in the workplace, but they're also doing very well as entrepreneurs um, because of the wisdom and the life experience that they're putting to use. Um, so I think I'm really, I wish I'd listened to it before our talk today, but I saw that this morning. And again, that's how I get inspired during the day. I get up and I think, okay, I'm not so old. I'm over 50. I'm in that group. I can, you know, I can continue to push forward because you know you can get caught up in thinking okay I'm over 50 I should be retired things should be a certain way right now but this morning I felt like well the women in my age group are still pushing forward they're still making a difference you know Melinda Gates they mentioned Oprah of course Kamala Harris made it but she's not over 50 um, Angela Merkel was I think number one or two on the list and they talked just about her staying power and how much she continues to do. So I felt inspired this morning. And, and that, that's important. It's important to find your sources of, of inspiration. Because like you said, you can really get into these ruts where you kind of beat yourself up 
about where you think you are. And yeah. it's important. Yeah, to I'm, not a, I'm not a millennial. I can't type, you know, a hundred words a second and be on TikTok and Instagram and everything all at the same time. And I felt I was feeling a way about that yesterday. And then I get up this morning and there's this great piece on what's going on in the world with female entrepreneurs over 50. And I thought, yes, this is exactly the message I needed today. So that's where I get my inspiration. And that gives me that just that much more energy to get up today and say, what can I do differently today? What can I offer the world today? How can I put my, my wisdom to use? I love the look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because I'm feeling inspired. I'm going to be checking out the, the, the Forbes list when I get off the phone with you. Yes, um, yes. But um, one of the other things that you mentioned that I think is really important to, to developing a, a brand, too, is, you know, sometimes when we sit down and we create these lists of, mm -hmm. you know, who we are and who we're serving and what we're going to do, mm -hmm. we keep them to ourselves. And so, I mean, most small businesses in, in the U.S. are, you know, are our sole proprietors. But as you grow your business and you bring more people on and you have partners and you're connecting, it's important that they understand the vision as well. And so you started out talking about that when you talked about your, um, you know, your, the partners that you had worked with. But talk, explain the importance of um, making sure that you have buy-in on your mission statements or your value statements or, or your promise to, to how you're going to serve so that you can be more effective because everyone that is either associated with you is kind of like an ambassador, not kind of, is an ambassador mm -hmm. for you. And so it's important to be able to have that connection consistent. Yeah. I think if I had another 20 hours in a day, I think a great service that we need, particularly as entrepreneurs, is one, a consulting business. I know there's huge consulting firms, but a lot of small businesses can't afford it. But I think people need to be able to talk through some of these concepts. You know, people like you or myself, we're really lucky we have each other. You know, I can call you up and say, I have this idea and I can talk it through with you. That's worth a lot. But not everybody has that. And I'm thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be great to have like therapy for entrepreneurs? You know, wow. where you can have, <laughs> where you can have, I know. <laughs> I know, where you can have an hour or 30 minutes a week where you just kind of check in. How's the business going? Are you on plan? Are you doing, you know what I mean? I think that people need that because you may get buy-in from your friends who yes you to death because they don't know the difference. Right. You know, right. Yeah. And that's very different than they the think it's either a good idea or you're crazy. Like it's, right. it's one or the other. Right, right. Yeah. right. And according to how much they want to please you. And so that's very different than speaking to a business person that you're paying to get great advice. You know, am I on the right track for doing this properly? And um, I think people need more of that. I think we need it particularly in for minorities and for women. I mean, it's that affirmation. You can get, like I said, you can get caught up in thinking, I'm too old to be doing this anymore. I'm too tired to be doing this anymore. My ideas are no good. Or you can get up this morning and read the Ford's 50, you know, women over 50 and think, wow, they're applying their wisdom. There is some value in that. And so I think we need more business consulting and more business support, a peer group of other small businesses in your area where you can just 
meet for lunch or meet on a Zoom call and kind of check in with how you're doing and, you know, what are other people doing? Again, if you're a restaurant in the pandemic, what other things are you doing to get your name out there? So people are thinking about ordering from you. Like, what are you doing to keep current? I think it's important. I, I think that's an excellent idea. And, and hopefully um, even folks who are listening may be inspired to either start a consulting firm mm-hmm. that could be a- affordable for small business. Because that's, that's really the key. You could, you could hire a consulting firm, but you know, can you afford the information exactly. that they're going to be able to provide? So that's actually a great idea. Or really just kind of creating like a, a, a business consortium where, you know, like business owners in a community or, you know, the technology makes it easy to connect where people can just talk about their issues and talk about their concerns and figure out how to find answers to those things. Exactly. So in New Hampshire, I was meeting uh, once a week for breakfast. We met at 8 a.m. So it didn't get in the way of our business once a month at 8 a.m. for breakfast. And there were about five or six women invited. We would get maybe four at the most at any given time would show up. And the point was to have breakfast and just check in with how our businesses were going. It was great because the best graphic designer, one of the best graphic designers I've ever met, I was introduced to from one of the women in the group. I've never met this woman. She does great design. She's a professor at Temple. I'm in New Hampshire. We talk on the phone. She does great stuff for me. You know, so I think having that connection, you know, whether it's on Zoom or you're meeting for coffee and breakfast, just being able to talk about what do I need? What do I need to be doing? Another woman whose son did a lot of social media stuff said, you know, call my son. You know, he's 25 bucks an hour, but he can help you set up your Instagram and your Facebook and all of that. Somebody else said, I've got a good person who does that. And just sort of brainstorming, thinking about ideas. I think that's really important because isolation as an entrepreneur can be a killer. You get so crushed with paying the bills and running the business, it can be very isolating. So part of it is really trying to get out from your desk and from running the business to getting out and, you know, talking to other people and getting fresh ideas and staying current and getting feedback and getting support. Because otherwise you can be consumed by the negative and consumed by the grind of just doing the business. And if we're talking about the importance of, of again, branding and showing up in in the marketplace a certain way. How do you take all of this information? Because you've given us a lot of great stuff around finding inspiration, collaborating with people. How do you take all of this information and because that, that's another thing, right? So there are a lot of companies that, you know, that you can pay to help you understand what your brand is. If, if someone's listening to this and they're trying to strengthen their brand or they're trying to reposition their brand, how do they take all of this information and say, and have it have a positive impact on how they're going to show up and how people are going to see them? I think, I think that can be challenging. As you were saying it, I thought about all of the conversations I had with other possible mentors that I had. And I would start telling them my story and telling them what it was I wanted to do. And they had their own agenda for what they thought I should be doing. And sometimes it takes a lot of courage to say, that's not really what I had in mind, you know? And you got to be careful about that too, about other people kind of, what's the word? Um, Recreating your, yeah, recreating your, your vision. Yeah, you got to be really careful about that, too. 
I think it's more about holding your own self accountable. You know, I go back to I'm really I feel really strongly about the whole idea of storytelling and about writing down even on your computer. Why are you doing this business again? Who are you serving? Why are you serving them? What drives you? What gets you up in the morning when you think, you know, when you're doing this? And then having a group um, or a person who you can sort of brainstorm with or bounce the ideas off that uh, somebody that's also positive, because I'm also thinking that people can be very negative and that negative energy can just drain everything. Um, and so it's about finding people who can give you constructive, good feedback, but who can also be supportive in what you're trying to do and not force their agenda on you. Um, I think that's really important. Um, how you, you know, some people like to write. I can't think of any other way to do this other than putting the thoughts down on paper. I don't know what else someone would do. Because you, you do want to have a record to go back. Because sometimes, and, and I know this is true, sometimes when you go back, and I work with a coach as well. And so when you, when you go back and you look at what it is, it, it does. It actually, that also can re-inspire you. Because you know how you felt in the moment yes. when you wrote all this stuff down. And so it is, whether it's, you know, it's some, whether it's a file on your computer or whether it's a journal, um, I do think it's important for you to write all of these things down so that you can and always go, you know, back to them. You know, one of, one of my favorite entrepreneurs is Howard Schultz, who created Starbucks, of course. Uh -huh, yeah. And, and he talks about it in his book Onward of how, you know, they got so big and he, and he said they had so much hubris. Mm -hmm. That he had forgotten the reason why he had started yes. um, Starbucks. And right. that was when he had to shut Starbucks down and then they to retrain the staff and then reopen because they had forgotten. So big businesses do it, too. They can get you can really go really far off course if you're yes. not. Careful. Yes. And so, I think everybody does. I think everybody does. And I think that's the point, the purpose of a business plan. So I'm saying you may not want to write a huge business plan, but you want to write it down, as you're saying, because you've got yeah. to come back to something and you've got to be careful about keeping it in your head and only talking about your ideas. I mean, I know people and I'm sure you do who can talk about business ideas all day and it's 20 years later and they're still just talking about it. Yeah. Um, I also say to people, if you're going to do a business, you've got to get up and do something towards that end every single day, every single day. I mean, I know I can be a bit of a workaholic, but you've got to do it every single day. Otherwise, it's just talk, you know. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's what that's part of what writing it down does as well. You can go back and say, OK, where am I with this plan? And what's the timetable to get there? And if you don't keep yourself to a timetable, a whole year can go by, you know, where nothing has happened on this business plan or nothing has changed. Right. Is, is there is there a process in writing it down where you can keep aligning everything that you've done back to this promise or back to this mission? Like, is there? I think so. And I think if you start, the writing down with your why, you know. Your why, yeah. yeah. Simon Sinek, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, that's. I, I would actually. I, I would. I would. I would suggest that people watch that. Um, the, have you seen that TED Talk? Right. 
um, by yeah, Simon Sinek. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Start with why. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I think that should be your first page and you could write a whole journal around your why because it can change, you know, right. not so much change as much as it can mature. It can, morph, right. it can, right. you know what I mean? And, but right. there's a little bit, there's, there's an essence that remains true, right? For me, it's about wellness and self-care and black women being empowered. And so I have to, as I'm doing all my stuff, I'm always remembering that's why I wanted to do this. I always wanted to help the immigrant woman, the woman who's left out. I also always want to make a place for her. You know, she's important to me. And so whenever I'm getting down or whether I'm beginning to shift, getting back to that why is really important. So maybe it's not so much about the business plans, Sonia, but it's about writing down why you're going to do this. Why? And 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 keep referring back to, to that every to time. World. Every time you're going to shift, or every time you're going to make a change. You, um, yeah, yeah. So that's important. And has so, your why changed? Maybe you've got you know. I wanted to do things before that involved my parents, but now. I've got all these grandchildren I didn't expect to have. And so my life looks very different now. Yeah. 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 So, so what's next for, uh, for Nadine in terms of, I mean, you, you've experienced a lot, you've launched a lot of products. Um, actually, before I say that, what should you say to someone or what would you say to someone who is, because in this in this time now, so there, there there have been a lot of businesses that are suffering from crisis, but a lot of people are starting businesses uh-huh. right uh-huh. now. And uh-huh. so, what would you suggest to someone who's trying to bring something to market and wanting to introduce a new brand? Um, what would be your recommendation to someone starting right now? I think be clear about your why. Be clear about your funding because such a, you know, so many great ideas, if they're not funded, aren't going anywhere. And so I think people have to, once you get past your why and all that nice stuff, you then need to think about how am I going to fund this business? And do I have the time and the energy to do it? Those things require commitment. Yeah. Requires a huge commitment. Am I willing? Entrepreneurs generally work 24, you know, seven days a week, you know, and you need to do that in order to launch your business. And then you can start cutting back and taking your weekends off or a day off or your evenings or defining when your off time is. But you have to be willing to put in the time. And are you willing to put in the time? And do you have the right financial backing to do what you're going to do? Otherwise, it's a futile effort. You know, you can get a great idea off the ground, but if you can't fund it, the business is not going to work. So I say to people, look at that. A lot of people call me and they want to do direct sales businesses like I do where they sign up people to do it. And I say to them, if you don't have $500,000 to get the technology that you need to run it, the staff that you need to run it, it's impossible to do, you know, think about something else because you need to talk to people and find out what is the real cost behind starting this business and do I have access to the funding to do it? Once you've got access to the funding, you can start, you know, you can go off and kind of go off with confidence. But those are the things I think about. My why, time and energy, and do I have the funding? And if you've got the funding, you can call and order all the inventory you want. But if you don't have the inventory, you're always trying to catch up. And right now, 
funding is tough. So, so what's next for the um, for the Nadine Thompson brand? <laughs> Wellness, self care. That's been consistent, right? That yeah. your brand has been consistent yeah. in terms of all the different products that you've been work, working for. Even your work with Candy Burris has been still around self-care. those types of, of yeah. things. I so would like. Yeah, I'd like to see the CBD end of the business take off much more. I like what I'm doing. I like the direct sales. You know, we're going through a pandemic. And I think, you know, I'm on the Goldman Sachs. I'm one of the scholars from the 10,000 small businesses. And so we exchange emails and we have a forum. So people, I think, are feeling scared. People are worried. People are thinking about the future of their businesses and people are thinking about how are they going to pivot, really. I think that's a big question for everybody. Not everybody can get into selling PPEs right now. So right. people are thinking about what am I going to do next? And, you know, I think we're also very isolated right now, and I'm concerned. Many people are working from home, even as entrepreneurs, and they're not seeing other people. They're not getting out. You're not having that interaction that we're normally having. And so I am concerned that people really need to network more now than ever before. You know, join a group or start a group of other like-minded business people to um, just network, to just get out of the, you know, get out of your own head, out of your own house space because people aren't going into offices, you're not having that interaction, that um, that energy, that interaction with other people that you're normally having. And I think it's really important for business people to begin to find ways to begin to connect with other people um, and talk about what they're going to do next and how they're going to get through this, because I think it's pretty scary. My concern is how do we sustain ourselves in such during such uncertainty and that's a real concern you know and it's not pie in the sky i think people really don't know what the answer is they can take a lot of the funding that's coming out now but then you're thinking how am i going to pay it back you know so i think people need to connect now more than ever i mean even getting on and listening to podcasts such as this one and others to really kind of figure out what you're going to do next and find out what other people are doing to survive. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because although, you know, we're doing more Zoom and technology sessions than we ever had, there's still a lot of people who feel isolated. And I was just reading this morning um, that Tony Hesch, who died in the the fire, fire, yeah, yeah, but was feeling really... all of his money and all of his resources was feeling isolated as well. Yeah. So we, we want to encourage people to even through these Zoom sessions or through podcasts. Unfortunately, it's, it's going to be all technology. I mean, I was talking to a friend last night who said she doesn't want to do anything else um, on Zoom or doesn't want to do anything else on a computer. Um but I don't think we can afford to, particularly as entrepreneurs, I don't I don't think we can afford to retreat into ourselves. Yeah, you always say it so well. Absolutely, that's it. We've got, we can't. Yeah, we've got to connect. And we've got to really fight back the isolation that I think many of us are feeling. So I think that's, to me, you know, what I want to share with other entrepreneurs is connect. Connect with other people. Connect with other entrepreneurs. You know, it's going to be important, I think, to your sustainability. 
And and if there if there are people that you know, you should probably reach out to them, huh? Yeah. You should probably just check check on someone that you know is in business and just to find out how they're doing and yeah. if you need to talk. Because the, the other thing is too, that's probably indicative to people of color. We are really good at just you know, just putting the best outside. I know and making and just letting everybody um, think that we're doing well. And um, because we don't want people to know how poorly we're actually doing. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's important to connect, to have authentic relationships to, you know, I just think people need to connect. And I really like what Goldman Sachs does. They have a forum and every night we can go on and put out calls for help. People, I need to hire somebody. I'm looking for this kind of funding. I'm looking for a printer. I'm looking for whatever, I'm looking for a new accountant or I'm opening a new office, what do others think? And you're getting that feedback. And I think it's really important to begin to, and not look for other people to do it, but my suggestion is create it yourself. Don't look for others to do it for you. If you're feeling isolated, I'm sure a lot of other people are as well. Create a group, you know, and yeah, Zoom is, is you know, not great, but I kind of like it because I don't have to get dressed and go out anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's seeing anything below here. Yeah, you look fabulous, by the way. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Nadine, it is always a pleasure uh, talking with you. I mean, we've had many of these conversations offline um, over the years, and I'm so glad that I get to share you with all of the listeners. So thank you so much for spending time with us. And I'm sure you'll be back because we never even touched the direct sales market, which is a, an opportunity that very few black women have right. the privilege to say that they are a part of. I think it's you and maybe one other black woman yes. um, in, in, in the entire industry of direct sales. Yes. So, you know, it makes um, me think I probably need to reach out to her. There's Tracy Lynn who does jewelry. Does jewelry, yeah. yeah and I yeah. need to reach out to her because during this whole pandemic, I have not seen, usually we see each other at conventions. At conventions, yeah. You know? But yeah. there again, I mean, there's, you know, one or two of us, and then there's the folks who do the hair care, um, Ursula Dudley, okay. who's All part right. of the Dudley family. But yeah, I mean, we really, I need to reach out to them, send an email. We need to probably do a call and get together and say, what are you guys doing? How are your consultants doing? How are you keeping people motivated during this time? So again, I mean, just thinking about it, we need to connect and reach out to other people and kind of see how they're doing. You know, other people may be out of business. I don't know. But, you know, it's really important to to check in and see how we can help each other because the landscape is changing. Absolutely. Well, we're glad that you were in business and you were continuing to do great things. We look forward to much more from Nathan Thompson. I love you so much. Thank you for, yeah, for joining us. Too. Yeah, and, well, the truth is I want to be in a house in the Caribbean on the beach. You uh, know. When you find it, invite me, please. <laughs> I'm ready. I <laughs> like today. I'm, you know, this is getting old over here. This cold and whatever. I need to be on the beach somewhere. In Europe, north, so it gets cold older, earlier, and quicker than it does for, for those of us here. So, yeah, um, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. so I'm, I'm ready. I got my passport yesterday, came in the mail yesterday. So I'm ready to get stamps with all new destinations. So um, okay. thank you. 
Business First is hosted and produced by Sonia Aline. Associate producer, Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Business First podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Business First podcast is a Mean Old Line Media and Say It Loud Network production.